Welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report powered by Caliber Mind. I'm your host, Kamala Thompson, and today we have a special guest and a crossover. Doug Bell from the Revenue Generator is here to join us. Please tell us a little about yourself and your podcast. Hey, Kamala. Um, I like the word uh, crossover. Yeah. So Revenue Generator Podcast is a podcast that's dedicated to helping organizations do a better job of aligning resources internally to generate revenue. I am a serial CMO. I've been doing this a long time, 20 years in tech, sales, marketing products. Therefore, I am an expert in all things. So buckle up, folks, because we're here to learn. <laughs> All right. So we were talking about topics for the episode, and you mentioned you've unlocked the key to accelerated growth, which I love hearing. What are the two things? And it, just tell us a little bit about that. Right. Well, be careful when somebody promises you the world. I would say that the kind of the conditions I would put around that are being careful not to fall into the trap of same as everybody else messaging and positioning and your ability to really take positioning and make it a tool and a foundation for uh, future growth. So to me, uh, not always true for all companies. Some companies are perfectly positioned, but by and large companies generally sort of miss the boat. They want to be different and they do this feature function thing where they say, Hey, here are all the areas that I'm really good at, as opposed to telling a story about the brand as it applies to the needs of that customer. And so when you can do that well, you tend to have more growth. Yeah. And I, I see a lot of people in tech struggle with this. One of these things is proximity to context. Like if we have all the context, we have to keep in mind that our messaging has to appeal to somebody who's never heard of us before. And then the other piece of that really is it is just so hard as a startup not to try to be all the things to everybody. <laughs> And have you seen that in the market as well, or am I off base here? I think that, you know, so I think there are some, Camel, it's a really good question. I think there are some categories, maybe some buckets to simplify things for people. And so what I do see is that you really have these two buckets when it comes to startups. Bucket one is I'm entering a known category, entering it because I feel like I've got a better mousetrap. Mm -hmm. And then you've got those that are, really starting with something so new that there is no category. And for the folks that start without a category, they are forced to be better storytellers. They are forced to be in a situation where there are by circumstances, their situation is such that they really have to do a great job of framing the problem and how the brand solves that problem. Cause otherwise they go away. Mm -hmm. Right. Either that or their product is so good. It sells itself. And you know, we can have a whole conversation up around PLG, but very rarely is that the case. And then you have those organizations that have entered into existing categories and as bold and as beautiful as they think their product is quite often, what they will tend to do is to go towards the middle in terms of describing the product. In other words, they will take on the category and they'll say, we are the category plus our features are better or plus our service is better plus, plus, plus. And I would say that ends up being a trap. And so if you can, as a startup, do a better job of, giving that narrative, but most importantly, giving the narrative from the perspective of how you help that customer. Oh, I love that you mentioned that because that that is it, right? People don't care about your features, how it's made, how you do it, so much as can you actually solve this problem or is this vaporware? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. Check. Let's talk about the rubric for perfecting message and position. Let's start with the job to be done here. 
when we're thinking about positioning. And, and uh, um, I'm going to try not to wax on too much, Camilla. And you and I have been on many podcasts before. You know I'm capable of it. And oh, so <laughs> here's what I'll say. Let, let's take the idea of positioning. Before we get to the rubric, what is positioning? Right. And this is not marketing 101. It really is an honest question to those listening in today and those viewing today. Do you really know what positioning is? And I would say that the simplest definition very much is when people are busy and lazy, how they know to pick your product or where to put your product, right? So positioning comes from this idea of supermarket shelves or general store shelving. Where do you position your product vis-a-vis other products? Is it in the hardware section? Is it next to the grits, right? That's positioning. And as you're thinking about it, think about it from that perspective. How does somebody who's never heard of my product, my company, my service before, how do they create that quick association? We're all pattern matchers, right? They go, oh, it's like this, okay. So starting there, the rubric really is one that says, how do I start thinking about how somebody who is busy, stressed, and has a certain amount of career risk going on, how do I put them in a spot where they feel comfortable enough that they can engage with the brand, right? So for me, that rubric is really, there's three sides or three parts to it. The first is, and I'm going to use a term here, but who's the ICP or what is the ICP, right? What is, who is it that we're talking to, one? Two, what is the fundamental problem that we solve, right? And then three, how does the brand solve the problem well? Mm-hmm. So that's really the rubric at the end of the day. What's your market? What's your what's your market? What, sorry, what's your market? What's the product? And then how does that product really solve that problem well? I love how you simplified, well, all of that, but positioning in particular because... Full transparency, I have gotten so close to the product that I am representing now that it is very hard for me to figure out position and messaging just off the cuff. And it's so tempting to start listing all the technologies you're like, instead of maybe thinking a little bit broader, like maybe we're a data warehouse plus BI team just for marketers and it's outsourced and done in like a fraction of the time. Maybe that's a better way to approach it. Maybe it's not, but it got me thinking about what are other ways we can simplify what we do so that most people get it. Right. Yeah, I mean, you and I talked about the hero's journey a bit as yes. well. And, and that, so the, the hero's journey very simply is a story arc that, really puts a figure at the center of the story and their journey through to the conclusion of the story. And the mistake that marketers make quite often, and I wonder if you're, you're in this cotton this trap a little bit too, Kamala, is that they put the company as the hero, right? It's oh. the product that's the hero, no, right? No, no, yeah. no, no, I do everything I can to avoid that. <laughs> but maybe, maybe we do fall into that trap. That's a great point. Well, I think it's easy to, and I have to say, you know, Campbell, good for you for staying out of that trap. And so if you know, anybody's familiar with the hero's journey, we won't go through all the details, but if you can make, if you can make the consumer's problem in the consumer as the hero in the hero's journey, and again, Google it, look it up, it's dead simple. If you can do that, you're really on your way. So if, if I feel like, and I, I, Kamala, I will tell you, I sound like I'm lecturing. I've done it myself. I've been in your shoes. I've been in that spot mm-hmm. where you, you can't help but to escape into the easy feature and functionality. Yep. 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 And so, Which is why I always try to frame it. Like a lot of people think of Hero's Journey. A lot of people have watched, not everybody, but a lot of people have watched Star Wars. Right? I'm trying to get us to be Yoda. I'm not Luke Skywalker. That's the CMO. (laughs) So what is the CMO struggling with today 
that Yoda can maybe help give a little guidance along the way, but we are the background player. It's all about the CMO becoming faster, better, more informed, all of those things, right? Like that's the ideal. Now, whether or not we've done it is totally in question, but we are trying. Well, I think, I think that um, unless you're an established category, and even if you are in some cases an established category, you have to get to a point where you can describe the problem that you're solving. So this is a starting point I would recommend. Can you describe the problem that you solve to your parents who have nothing to do with what you do? Can you describe it to your neighbor? Right. So starting from that point, hey, we solve the problem of, of dirty socks better than anybody else, right? Not, hey, we take textiles that are manufactured into shapes that fit on feet, and we do a really good job of taking dirt and remove, you mean you clean socks? Yes. Right. So can you describe that problem concisely and well? One, can you describe that problem in the context of what that person that owns the problem is experiencing? Right. Two, and then three, can you weave it into a story? That's really, for me, the, the key thing in being able to understand and communicate positioning is, can you tell this to your mom, to your dad, to your mailman, to your brother, and they'll understand it. That is now, so just hard to the do. The hard part is... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's incredibly hard to do. And, and I would say that, um, you know, some, some, you know, Kamala, some starting points for... There's a lot of folks listening in right now that have this problem. And so I think the, the, the starting point I would uh, begin with is your value prop. Do you feel like your, by the way, your value prop is not a paragraph, right? Is my value prop a sentence long? Can I describe my value prop in simple non-jargon terms such that anybody can understand it? I don't think I'm there yet, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, you know, being really, really honest, I'm like, as we're running through this, I'm running through sentences in my head and trying to figure out, okay, how do, how do we boil this down so it makes sense? Actually, you're my ideal audience, so maybe we just use us as an example and boil it down a little bit, right? Like, do, 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 so it's like free consulting. There you go. <laughs> so, 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 caliber mind, and I'm familiar with the brand. So, I'm, I'm, I've, I've got, um, I've got a little cheat code in the back of my head, unfortunately. So, I'm going to pretend I know nothing about caliber mind, uh -huh. right? But so, what is the core value prop in this case? By the way, folks, you want to show up on the show, and, and we'll we'll do this for you. It's only a thousand dollar consulting fee. So, what's the core <laughs> value prop? What's the core value prop for Caliber Mind? See, what I think it is, I don't think it really is. Is why I'm hesitating. I don't I don't want to look like a jackass. But this is going to happen anyway, so I'm going to run into it full speed. So, <laughs> and, and this could be a longer combination of sentences that so we can boil it down. What I see CMOs trying to do is in B two B businesses got a bunch of people buying from them and they want different things at different times and they're in different channels at different times. What we do is connect all of that information and make sense of it so you can actually get the information you're looking for, which is usually like what works at what stage or something along those lines. I don't know. I'm a ways off, but I think it has something to do with it. <laughs> so Caliber Mind, and again, I already know what Caliber Mind does. I'm going to pretend I don't. So <laughs> Caliber Mind consolidates data and serves that data up to very busy CMOs to help them make better decisions and where to invest. Yes. Okay. Okay. So great. Now let's wrap. That's great. That's a great value prop, right? That's that's a huge problem. CMO here, huge problem for CMOs. I have a huge amount of data. You're going to take that data, ingest the data, and provide insights to me so I can understand where to put future dollars. Wow, that's great. I'm listening now. Right. I'm listening. So 
let's back out a little bit further. So you got a value prop, right? What are similar, but I'm busy. So are you a data intelligence, revenue intelligence platform? Like, what are you, right? So this is where we get into core positioning and then we'll do the narrative. So what would you guys call yourselves? Also where we struggle. So I would think of us as an outsourced data warehouse plus a business intelligence team made just for marketing. So we just focus on what marketers care about the most. Okay. All right. So business intelligence and data warehousing for marketing, dedicated mm-hmm. to marketing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Business intelligence, data warehousing for marketing. Great. Mm-hmm. Fine. We got those two elements now. Fantastic. So then um, let's start. Then let's talk about who do you work for? In other words, who are the people that you really want to make sure you do well for? You said CMOs, CMOs from Apple, CMOs from SMBs. Like who do you work for? B2B companies that are generally high tech. So very forward thinking, data driven, want to use decisions, their data to make decisions quickly. B2B high tech companies. And are those marketers who are typically consuming that? I'm assuming that's the case because it's a marketing intelligence platform. Uh, yeah, we are expanding into revenue operations, but by and large, yes, marketers, marketers. Okay, marketers, great. So we have a uh, market intelligence and data warehousing product that serves uh, tech marketers and specifically serves CMOs. Fantastic. We've got the core of what we need. Now let's create a narrative. You ready, Camel? We're going to create a narrative. The narrative should include the problem and the problem-facing CMO. So let's start with what's the current state of the world for CMOs, right? Can I, can I throw a beginning to it? Yes, please do. Okay. All right. So beginning to this would say... Tatooine, set the scene. <laughs> it's always Tatooine. Why is it always Tatooine? Are there no other planets in the galaxy? Anyway, I, I, live, with, I live with Star Wars geeks. Uh, I know that not because I like Star Wars. So let's set the stage. Marketing leaders are faced with more data and more pressure than they can manage. And guess what? More data is on its way, and there is no Rosetta Stone for that data. And and so we start throwing more in. And changes on the horizon. We have a, an economy that is on a downward spiral, meaning your resources are going to get limited. They're going to be more limited than they have in the past. Your job is under threat. What's your key to surviving that transition? It's better clarity around data and the ability to make really good decisions. What are your alternatives? Well, I can use blah, 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 right? I can use my current business intelligence platform that's disjointed. There's no interpretation of the data. So really, at the end of the day, I just have an easier way to manage a very large dashboard that has basic Excel technology in the background. So what have you been missing? We've been missing CaliberMind. CaliberMind solves this problem by blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, there you got you have a very basic narrative. So that's a thousand dollars, Pamela. So I'll take that in Venmo dollars, please. Uh, okay. Well, my husband has a Venmo account, so we're going to have to. Work that later. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I'll speak to that. I will say that part of the reason that CMOs and marketing leaders struggle is because they they tend to think from the product side forward, but also to go and find a consulting firm that will help you. It's such a high value service. You're talking about a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars in consulting fees Easily. to get that story right. Exactly. So if we as marketers can be better storytellers, right, and not have to pay one hundred forty thousand dollars for an agency to help us out, there's some real value in that. Or start a podcast and invite Doug to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can, you know, Campbell, if it helps, I can give examples of where I've, I've, you know, where I've done this well and done this poorly to get folks an idea of how to maybe pull this off or maybe not to pull it off. Yeah. I'd also like to dig into what we mean by value. Like what's the value we're providing? Because 
a lot of people fall into, uh, you save time, money, everybody says the same thing. So would love to dig there as well, but let's start with your examples. Well, I think you're talking about the messaging value chain. And, mm -hmm. um, I think that helps set a lot of context for my uh, many failures and my one or two successes. And I'm happy to talk about those in the, in the kind of the scope of the value chain. So the messaging value chain, and I'm going to forget who created this. Uh, I'll remember right after we sign off the podcast, uh, Kamala, but the messaging value chain effectively says that there is a, there is a progressive arc of how your product serves a given market. In this case, that product is represented by a message. Okay. So that's the messaging value chain. And at the bottom of the chain, it's not a bad place to be is efficiency. I can do things better. And at the top of the value chain is I help my customers do things better. And so really what we aspire to is a product and set of services that helps my customers, customer do things better. And sort of along the way, so you go from efficiency to I can do more things. I can do things I wasn't able to do before, right? Next up in the value chain is I actually can reduce the risk of doing business. The next up is I can actually increase revenue. And we all tend to chase that revenue thing. And then finally, I help my customers or I help my customers' customers, right? That's the top of the value chain. And so you cannot position yourself in the wrong place in the value chain because guess what? Your product only does what it does, right? We as marketers can claim more, but ultimately the sales team is going to come and eat, or eat our lunch because we're saying things that we can't do, right? So that's the messaging value chain. Great. So how do you as a marketer take the value chain and then take positioning and messaging and locate yourself on that and then do well with it. Well, I will share some anecdotes or anecdotal moments in my career. So I've done this well and done this poorly. Uh, a good example of two, let's start with good. You want to start with the good stuff or the bad stuff? Yeah, well, do you want to start or end on a high note? <laughs> I think we start with the bad stuff. <laughs> All right, we'll start with bad. That's fine. That's fair. Uh, so, Kamala, there was a time before DocuSign that there was a thriving let's say half a billion dollar a category called contract lifecycle management. Mm -hmm. And what contract lifecycle management did is it helped large corporations manage mass amounts of very important documents. Let's call those contracts. Um, and that was a great thriving industry for a really long time. And at some point, somebody called DocuSign came along and said, it's really a document management challenge, if you will. We're going to do that in the cloud. We're going to make it easy for you to manage the metadata associated with those contracts. Suddenly, this whole industry just goes away, right? So, a great example of uh, me doing a poor job of positioning was when I worked for a company called Selectica. This is a million years ago. Selectica was a contract management, contract lifecycle management company who was known for being able to help companies who were buying stuff, so procurement. Mm -hmm. There was a little tiny piece of that, which was really for me the, the, the growth side of the business, which was sell-side contract management. And a company called Aptis perfected this. They were acquired by Conga, right? And uh, Kong is really the only company I think out there doing it well these days. And so what I did is I said, we're a sell-side CLM company without really any evidence and or any customers to really back that up. So we would send my sales team out to where they had their spears and their shields and they would go, we're sell-side. And we had no evidence to back that up. So mm. what I was doing was really placing us appropriately in the value chain, right? Which is I could be more efficient with my contracts, but I was mispositioning the company. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it led to a lot of churn and a lot of disruption on the sales side. In other words, we as marketers need to be careful that our positioning really meets the promise of our value prop 
and the promise of our product and its ability to deliver in the marketplace. That's an example of doing poorly. To the CEO at the time, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was the bad. You want to hear the good? Yes. Fantastic. So I work for a company called Automation Anywhere. A lot of people probably have heard of Automation Anywhere. They're about a $7 billion company. When we started there, they were less than $8 million in ARR. Uh, and at the time, they were a really a very kind of elegant and simple workflow tool. Really good workflow tool. And they were positioned in the marketplace. It was something you could buy in a credit, would spend money on a credit card. You'd buy the product, literally show up on the website and download their product with a credit card. They were $89 to buy the product, right? And so I was brought on. And at this same time, this whole movement was occurring. And it was this weird little category called robotic process automation. Have you heard of our RPA before? I have, actually. Okay. So RPA is now a gosh, $20 billion category, probably a bit more, right? Yes. And for those of you picturing R2-D2, that's, that's not what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Although I would love a little robot to serve me drinks, coffee, you know, whatever. And to shock CP3O every time he annoys me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen Star Wars when we're talking about. And so what the company did, it was at the end of the day, it was an elegant workflow engine that had some really very, very good integration capabilities. And it could, it could effectively mimic, so they had macros that could mimic what people were doing on their desktops. So you could set a program that would do all the things somebody was doing on their desktop. Well, at the same time, there was this idea of robotic process automation, which is effectively that. It is automating activity in the back office. And these guys were good at it on the desktop. And so what I was able to do is to work with the founding team, and we ultimately decided we were going to reposition ourselves as a robotic process automation solution. So all the way back to the origins of our conversation, we talked about those two buckets you have. You have startups who have something so new that nobody knows what they are, and therefore they are forced to tell a really good story, because otherwise they don't exist. The startups don't exist anymore. They've got to tell a really good story. And then we have those startups that you know exist in a category. And so this is a good example of a company that existed in a, a category. It was really simple workflow engines could be purchased on a credit card. So what I was able to do is work with the founders, and we repositioned ourselves as a robotic process automation solution. Guess what? The product was the same. We moved into the cloud. No small thing. There's a lot of CTOs listening and going, "Hey, man, that's hard." I agree. But really, the company repositioned itself as sorry, transitioned to the cloud, and then it was able to execute all that back office work remotely, and actually to be handle organizations that had thousands of desktops or thousands of servers. Right. So. That was the success. We went from $8 million in revenue. By the time I left, we were $180 million in revenue. It was two and a half years. And the reason it worked so well was we, we effectively joined in very early on an existing category. And we had to go through all of the steps I talked about before. What's our value prop? Right? How do we position ourselves? All of those things. What it ultimately landed on is that we were, whether we liked it or not, we were a robotic process automation solution. So it was a matter of telling that story out to the marketplace, go to the website, my tagline still exists, it's go be great. Because what we decided was, the story was, that at the end of the day, we were serving the people who were doing work that was not value add to the organization. Our customer were the people that were doing this work and they weren't working on other things. That's the tagline, go be great. So I would be neglecting my background in RevOps if I didn't ask. I hear a lot of people say messaging, messaging, like how do you even measure the impact of that and whether you're making a dent? So you just gave a really tangible example of, wow, growth exploded. What are other earlier indicators people can use to figure out whether or not they're moving in the right direction? 
that's a that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. And, and the reason that I'm saying it's tough, Camel, is that quite often the success of a change of positioning and messaging results in a trailing indicator that has increased, say, performance. Let's call that pipeline. Mm-hmm. And what ends what ends up happening is it's a little bit like what's the best analogy I can give? It's a little bit like breaking up with your partner and moving out of the house, right? You're in college. You're in your twenties. You know, it it just it it takes time to kind of disentangle yourself from that to move on to the next thing. Well, when you radically overhaul your positioning and messaging, you're breaking up with a part of your category mm-hmm. and you're moving on to a new category, right? So what quite often you'll see is, so this is where, this is just the most concrete tip I can give you. Look at your website's direct traffic versus its organic traffic. And what will happen is you'll see big declines in your direct traffic in terms of performance open rates, click-through rates, linger time, all of the things we're used to in terms of website health. It's going to go down. Ignore it. Those are people that are familiar with your brand. And by the way, that's so hard to do because guess what? It's the highest converting traffic. And again, we're just thinking, we're just, our rubric right now is to say, let's just think in terms of the, the best evidence we have through GA on our website to say whether we're going in the right direction. That direct traffic will suffer. But what you also should see simultaneously is a change in the behavior of organic traffic. And what you will find is if you start seeing your organic traffic mat- matching the health of your direct traffic over time, that's an early indicator you're doing well. Now, guess what? That's a passive action. That's a passive motion that marketers, and guess what? Sales leaders don't have time for, right? So then your other set of metrics are, how am I doing in terms of my ability to outbound and the conversion rates that are occurring there? So what you're doing at that point is almost a similar exercise to organic versus direct, which is to say, what are my persona target rates? Got to change your personas if you're completely repositioning. So, in the case of Caliber Mind, if you were to reposition, let's say that you position yourself as a revenue intelligence platform, mm-hmm. right? You would be going after CROs. Mm-hmm. That would be your audience. So, what you're looking for is what's my call response rate for CROs versus what it was for CMOs? And am I starting to get to the point that I'm matching what it was for CMOs and surpassing what it was for CMOs? Perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> so some other qualitative things you're going to see. So speaking as somebody who has done this the wrong way from time to time, um, you'll release messaging and you'll see people run in different directions and create their own. That's a sign you're probably not on the right track. Uh, listen to your sales team. They tend to have a better sense of what's landing and what isn't. Uh, there may be a few people who want to stick to what they know has worked in the past and aren't adopting the new messaging, but generally they'll give it a shot and you'll hear really quickly whether or not it's working. There are any other qualitative markers out there that we can use? Well, can I weigh in on that piece, uh, Kamala? Because I feel like that's, you know, I'm a 20, 20 plus years in products and marketing and sales and have Spent time in each of those categories, uh, but I feel at the end of the day, I'm a marketer through mm-hmm. and through, right? That's really my heritage and really how I look at the world. And you said something there that's really interesting, which is really how do you, how successful is that new positioning and messaging with the sales work, mm-hmm. right? And what kind of feedback are you getting? And a sign that it may not be working, as you said, is that people are drifting away and not using the messaging and positioning. And uh, one thing I'd say there is that that actually may not be the case. In other words, if you look at that as an indicator of the success of the positioning and a messaging, you've got to ask yourself, is the sales organization directed towards the new persona, in this case, for Caliber Mind, with this made-up scenario we just created with revenue intelligence? Are, is, are they drifting because they're using CRO messaging for CMOs? In other words, 
don't just count on them doing what they're supposed to do. And oh, I love yeah. salespeople. I think they're the most amazing, most talented people in the world. I sincerely do. They have really hard jobs. They're a combination of charismatic, uh, organized problem solvers. It's a really, really hard job. And guess what? It's such a hard job that quite often they're like water. They'll do the laziest thing they can. Water will go to the lowest spot it can. Salespeople have a lot on their hands, right? So let's call that lazy or call that efficiency. New messaging does not always help them. So I would be careful. Make sure their targeting is appropriate before you assume that your messaging is poor. Make sure they're doing their jobs appropriately. That's a great point. And if you're not getting into their outreach or sequencing tool, I highly recommend you do for a variety of reasons, not not just this. So looking at the titles, the ICP fit that they're targeting, and you know, listening to a few calls, that that tends to help. So I totally agree with you on that one. You asked me, Kamala, about some qualitative indicators of whether messaging is working or not. And I have to say we're we're not blessed with pre, so pre-scale marketers we're pre-scale marketers right we have limited resources those resources are typically dedicated to developing pipeline and developing awareness right so we don't have let's say groups of people that sit in a room on and are interviewed focus groups we don't have those we don't have ways of testing the messaging in a let's call it a scientific way my my sister's a food scientist and she, that's her that's her livelihood she tests things with large groups of focus groups we don't have that but guess what we have shortcuts to that Right. So there, there are three things I would recommend there potentially very quickly. Number one is, you know what? You can always post a landing page with messaging and direct uh, a certain, like as long as your CPA is reasonable, you can direct people to that page. It's not WordPress is not hard to set up. You've got a design template. You've got messaging out there. Put an offer on it. Get a reaction to it, right? Direct enough traffic. Don't count on organic. It'll take too long. Direct enough traffic to it that you can understand whether or not the prospect is reacting to that message. Highly, highly recommend. One. Two, get a group. You talked about salespeople. Guess what, folks? They know what the heck they're talking about. They have all this experience in their head. Put them together as a focus group for that messaging. However, please balance them out with a real cross-section, not of your customers, okay? This is the key, of your intended future prospects. And you're going to go to your salespeople to ask for those folks. All right, so three, real quick, put up a landing page, test the message, $500 budget, you're going to test your messaging. Get your salespeople together and then have the salespeople get those intended prospects together and run them through the messaging. <laughs> you can find me on the Revenue Generator podcast. It's revgenpod.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. It's easy to find me, Doug Bell one Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter, Market Advocate. Wonderful. And for those of you listening who enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, tell two friends. It does make a difference. And if you're looking for more great content like this, check out calibermind.com.